this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed is all about a car that when you drive it through a tunnel sounds like this. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, the first episode of season or series 16. Do forgive me, Richard Porter. And what a happy start it is to this year as well, because I'm actually driving to Wales, of course, as I often are. And I'm doing it in a car I absolutely adore. There you go. There's the full review of this car in the first 20 seconds of this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed. It's a Lotus, a Lotus Evora, a Lotus Evora GT, a Lotus Evora GT410. It's a Lotus Evora GT410 Sport. Yep, that's what it is. Um, that's about as good as it can get, really, isn't it? You know, when I drove that Alfa Romeo Stelvio recently, I talked about emotional relationships that you have with cars. Very often it's a brand, and I bet the vast majority of you listening to this programme as well have an emotional relationship with Lotus. Probably the same one that I do. For me, Lotus started with the John Player Special, the Lotus 72, Emerson Fittipaldi, Ronnie Peterson, that famous livery, that extraordinary car in black and gold. But of course, if you're a little bit older than me, you'll remember the gold and red Lotus 72 before it had the rear wing mounted on a post that took it high it was actually low on the engine and that was an incredible car as well you don't need me to tell you why Lotus is or are I'm never certain which is which is correct Lotus is fantastic Lotus are fantastic anyway Lotus fantastic and lightness you may remember I did a song recently about the development and the success of the Cosworth engine used by developed by Lotus for their race cars and lightness my friend Steve Allen said in that song doing a passable impression I think of Colin Chapman and this car is all about adding lightness. So, if I tell you that this 2 plus 2 that I'm in weighs just 1,600 kilograms, and it's called the GT410 Sport because it has 410 brake horsepower. I think that's 415 PS. I still don't know how that works, by the way then if you can do the maths you'll probably worked out that its power to weight ratio is over 
300 brake horsepower to the ton. That is unbelievable. 300 brake horsepower to the ton. This car is capable of doing 186 of your earth miles per hour. Come on. And actually, if I was going to do 186 miles per hour in a car, I think I'd like to do it in a Lotus. Because they're so light, then the stopping distance will be far shorter than, say, a two and a half ton Bentley or a two ton Aston Martin capable of those sort of velocities. So it's a safer car. You can change the laws of physics. I wonder if Scotty from Star Trek actually worked for Lotus with Colin Chapman. Colin, you can change the laws of physics. We've got to make the car lighter. Add lightness. I know, I'm going to add lightness. I'm Colin Chapman. That's what I do. Colin would have replied in that voice, no doubt. Oh, by the way, as a tribute to Colin Chapman, I'm wearing a flap cap <laughs> while I'm driving this car. And when I arrive at my sister's house in North Wales, which is the end of the journey today, I will toss my hat high into the air like Colin Chapman used to do when Lotus used to win races in Formula One. Which brings me back to that emotional relationship with Lotus again. This company have something that so many other firms tried for years to establish of their own, you know? Let's take the example of Honda. Honda's R-Type brand, their sub-brand for racing. You know, they really are trying to build on something that they've been doing well, they've been racing since the 60s, on and off, but the invention of a sporting brand is a very difficult thing to do. Lotus were born out of sport. That was it. They became road cars, really, didn't they? They were born out of sport. So everything about them says sport. It says performance. It says excellence in that respect. But they've struggled, haven't they? Because way back in the late 60s, early 70s, maybe the 70s, even the 80s, Lotus's reputation for reliability wasn't what it should have been. They used to joke, didn't they? L-O-T-U-S stood for lots of trouble, usually serious. I'm pretty sure that's not true anymore largely because for the last well 20 years more Lotus have essentially honed all their technology down to let's say one and a half platforms okay two platforms because the technology with which they developed the Lotus Elise when Romano Artioli owned Lotus and also owned Bugatti they refined that ultra lightweight aluminium bonded chassis 
where they glued the chassis together. What a brilliant idea that was. No, don't screw it. Don't rivet it. Don't bolt it. Those aren't good options with aluminium. Bond it. Get some Scandinavian firm to develop a brilliant glue that will glue your aluminium together and you can make an incredibly strong, incredibly lightweight, durable chassis glued together. Brilliant thinking. Question everything. So they developed the tub that was the Elise, which later became the Exige, of course, and in fact was sold as the Europa for a while as well, a version of the Elise. Not for very long, though. They ditched that name. But then they took the same technology and scaled it up slightly to give us this car, the Evora. And I remember when the Evora came out, when I first saw it, I was slightly disappointed. I didn't think it was as beautiful a car as the Elise. I thought the Evora looked a little pudgy, like a 15-year-old girl who, you know, is, um, how can I say this, developing, but doesn't do enough exercise, you know, she's not lean yet, people grow into their own bodies, don't they? You get pudgy 15-year-old boys as well, and something about the Evora when it came out looked a little pudgy until I borrowed one and drove one and this was what 10 years ago now when the Evora first came out I think it had about 280 brake horsepower then maybe 300 the early version you have to look this up from about 10 years ago I made a very short video reviewing the car or actually it was a gag really I talked about a car which you could do 0 to 60 in less than 5 seconds had 100 and something like 60 mile per hour top speed I could do something no previous Lotus has been able to do and that is carry two people in the back it was a plus two incredible outrageous you might say a Lotus with back seats and I made a funny little video and I put my two little boys in who at the time would have been I don't know, seven, nine years old. They fitted in the back quite comfortably. Violet and Indy, my youngest son and myself, went out for a drive in the Avora the other day. And I put Violet in the back because Indy is my height now. There was no way he was going to fit in the back. But Violet, who's only, what, five foot two, five foot three, she fitted in the back with a squash because the rear seats slightly higher than the front seat which means you need a small person to fit in there not just a person with small legs someone about the size of Peter Dinklage for instance or Kylie Minogue would probably fit in the back or toddlers if you've got toddlers this is a great family car and it's got a decent enough boot as well yeah and if it's just you in the car like it is today you can get all your stuff in the boot and you've got room in the back and the passenger seat the back seat there for all your extraneous stuff that you take with you, like guitars and recording equipment. It's a practical car. I've spent three, four days now driving around London in it. And <laughs> I have to say, 
a car with these sorts of abilities in London it's not a big car it's a small car and you know space is tight in London and if you're blocked in in traffic and there's someone messing about in front of you driving like a bit of a burke it's really easy just to bing pow pop past them in a car like this it's ability to go from crawling speed to racing speed and back to crawling speed is extraordinary that's something you never bank on I think in a sports car you know you know you're going to go like off a shovel on the motorway you know you're going to go like stink round bends you don't imagine that you can make the most of being in traffic which you can as well because if there's a gap a car this nimble this OP you might say is capable of seizing any opportunity that's presented to it like a mini I used to say that about minis mini made you drive cheekily because it could fit in gaps historically that other cars couldn't it had enough poke because it was small and light to get you there well this car is nowhere near as small as a mini although I'd argue it's probably not much bigger or even wider than the current generation of mini <laughs> this one in the rain right alongside me now I'm going to pull up alongside it let's have a look which one this this is a Cooper convertible registration 66 so it's a few years old three years old is it the latest model oh, I'm a bit longer yeah I am a bit wider than it a fair play so that's not a fair comparison but yeah this car encourages you to seize opportunities and oh it's comfy it's got these tremendous sports seats not the optional carbon fibre seats which would save valuable kilograms add lightness add lightness but these are Alcantara oh I love that suede feel and the steering wheel's Alcantara as well and the dash has got a great swathe of Alcantara with not only red but white stitching on it as well across the lower half of the entire dash oh and it is really it's kind of 70s and I think that's quite good for Lotus I think Lotus should be able to draw on their entire heritage when was the Europa the original Europa the one with the Renault engine I bet it came out in about 60 Six, and I bet it was around till about 74 perhaps so you know that was a big period for Lotus Lotus should do 70s cars and I, there's something about this suede interior that's a bit 70s that's a good thing 70s is cool especially if you're me and you're a Slade fan you know the flat cap that I'm wearing that Colin Chapman wore Noddy Holder wore before he got that famous Christmas hat with, uh, well, I say the Christmas hat, the hat that I think he actually wore for Take Me Back Home, and also wore when they did Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm talking about the coachman's hat with mirrors on it, which when he stood on stage, when they shined spotlights at it, would reflect like a lighthouse lighting up the entire audience. It was an incredible stage effect. 
but um, sorry, what was I talking about? The seventies, cool. Not elder, cool. Not elder. Flat cap, seventies, cool. Lotus, seventies, cool. Yeah, there you go. Makes sense. So Lotus, they should make more of their heritage. I think possibly the mistake they made with the Evora was calling it the Evora. It's a good name. Oh, it sort of evokes raw, doesn't it? Evora. But in fact, they should have maybe called this car the Europa or the Elite. Or not the Elan, because they were still recovering from having made a slightly disappointing Elan. Although that's unfair. Because do you remember the modern Lotus Elan? Not the original one, or the S2, or the 2 plus 2. Oh, hang on, the Evora wasn't the first Lotus ever to have back seats, was it? It was an Elan plus 2 in the late 60s, early 70s that had rear seats as well. And I know that because when I left school after sixth form, I worked in a laboratory five days a week. But one day a week, I went to... Wrexham to college, not university, to college, to technical college, to study civil engineering. That's where I learned about designing roads and road surfaces and my building engineering course that I did. And the chap who used to give me a lift there, it was also on the same course, he had an Elan Plus 2, which I was very excited about travelling in. All class for labour and rattles, I remember, and the smell of oil. And this Lotus evokes that same sort of exciting feeling. Doesn't rattle. Oh my God, it can't possibly rattle. Not when you've got an aluminium chassis that's glued. And the other elements of this are super lightweight carbon fibre. The roof is carbon fibre. The boot lid is carbon fibre. When you pick up the boot lid, which of course is also the engine cover as well. It's wrong to call it the boot lid. It's a whole piece that hinges at the back. It's so unbelievably light without being countersprung. There's no hydraulics or springs to raise the weight. You lift it with your hand and it's like lifting a piece of cardboard, but, you know, a billion times more rigid than a piece of cardboard. And there's a nice old-fashioned lightweight metal rod to balance it on as well so it doesn't fall on your head. I dare say if it did fall on your head, you wouldn't notice any pain. It's so light. The attention to detail in this car, add lightness, add lightness, is unbelievable. It is a proper race spec car for the road. There is a more race spec version of the Evora than this, I believe. Is it the GT4 concept, they call it? And of course, Lotus raced at Le Mans how many years ago now certainly in the last 10 years probably in the last 7 years probably not the last 5 years but I remember the Jet Alliance team raced a couple of Evoras and Johnny Molam my mate Johnny Molam drove one but they raced in a sort of light blue and white colour I cheered every time they went by love to see Lotus racing at Le Mans and there's an awful lot going on at Lotus at the moment. They won't be building a hypercar that will qualify for Le Mans, but they are designing and engineering a hypercar 
coming soon that you will have heard about, a car called the Evija, E-V-I-J-A, Evija. That car comes with a slight aftertaste of Vija from Star Trek for me. You know Vija from Star Trek? Vija was Voyager, one of the Voyager probes, space probes sent out by NASA. And an alien race of technologically advanced beings, possibly the Borg, took hold of Vija and grew it and grew it and grew it into this enormous machine. It forgot what it was called. It thought it was called Vija, not Voyager, because few of the letters were rubbed out from the plate that said Voyager on the side. So, yeah, the Lotus Vija, it comes with a hint of sentient technology, which is no bad thing. But it also comes with a hint of vagina. The Lotus Vagina. Is that a sexy name for a car? The Lotus Vagina. The Vija. I will never be able to say Vija without hearing the word vagina. Maybe that says more about me than the car. But I do hear that Lotus do have plans to bring back some of their names. There will be a new Lotus Elan, possibly. Even an Elite. And I know that Lotus are talking about making an SUV, a very lightweight driver's SUV. Imagine that, eh? That's Alfa Romeo Stelvio and the Porsche... What's the little one? Not the Cayenne, the... Um, oh, gosh, I forgot what it's called. The smaller Porsche Macan SUV. They are the most sporting of SUVs at the moment, unless you count the two Jags. But the idea of a Lotus SUV... Gosh, how aluminium will it be? How much of a driver's car will it be? Will definitely be a driver's car. Will it outperform everything else? I bet it does. Will it be lighter than everything else? I bet it is. Well, I'm going to find out more about that car soon. Got more on that later. I was talking about names, wasn't I? I was talking about the new Elan. Talking about this car perhaps should have been called, maybe this should have been called the Elite. Oh, there goes a Porsche Cayenne. Gosh, that's an enormous car compared to this. Oh, by the way, I'm on the M1, as I often am at this point in Gareth Jones on Speed, driving up to North Wales. It's Boxing Day for me. I don't know what it is for you, but I don't know if you've been watching Watchmen. Do you know Watchmen, the TV series that's been on Sky, made by HBO, that was based on the groundbreaking graphic novel Watchmen, which asked the question, what would the world really be like if we really did have super beings? Alan Moore was one of the two people who created Watchmen. You may have seen my interview with Alan Moore on YouTube. It's one of the most watched things I've got on YouTube. Have a look if you haven't seen it. Gaz Top interviews Alan Moore on Get Fresh. It is there. But Watchmen, one of the essential characters in Watchmen is someone called Dr. Manhattan. Now, Dr. Manhattan, like many superheroes, gained his superpowers from an unfortunate accident. He went into some sort of nuclear chamber and was blown apart at the atomic level by some advanced technology. But because he was a living being, he was able to reconstruct himself and put himself back together. And so he transcended humanity to becoming 
practically a god. He could change his size, he could change his nature, he could change the nature of objects around him. He became godlike in every possible way and existed outside of time. Now, here's the reason I'm explaining this. There's a wonderful scene, no spoilers, there was one scene in Watchmen where Dr. Manhattan, his name is John, is talking about how he occupies all points in time simultaneously. And he's describing this to the woman he loves. And he's saying that not only am I here with you now in this critical moment in the story, but at the same time I'm enjoying the very moment that we first met, or the first moment that we made love, or the time that we fell in love. He exists in all those moments simultaneously. And that's kind of happening for me and you right now. Because right now, whenever you're listening to this show, it won't be Boxing Day. It'll be sometime in 2020. So you are existing in Boxing Day with me, and I'm existing sometime in 2020 with you. I'm existing sometime in the 1970s in the car which evokes the 1970s. I'm existing in a car that evokes the 1960s. I'm existing in a car that evokes the 1990s, the Romano Artoli period. I'm existing in a car which owns the future as well because Lotus, the Evija, this hypercar, oh, I've remembered my train of thought, this hypercar that Lotus are going to make the Evija, this futuristic hypercar, Evija, from the 23rd century, Star Trek period of time, will be an electric hypercar. It will have the sort of performance that the Pininfarina Batista has. Almost unlimited top-end performance from a pure electric drivetrain. How will Lotus achieve that? I'm very interested in finding that out because Lotus, with their attention to detail and their reputation for lightness, what sort of batteries are they going to use? How light will their batteries be? Will they have solid-state batteries? Have they found some new polymer battery that's ultra-lightweight? I hope so. I sincerely hope so. So they continue that reputation of Lotus to do that sort of thing. That would be beautiful. And the SUV that they're going to make, will that be called the Elite? The Elite? Elightness, I wonder. Will they find another name starting with E that works? The Excess. The Exceptional. The ESUV or something. ESUV. No, they would never be so crass as to call it something like that. By the way, can you hear a squeak? Listen. That squeak. It's not the car. It's only the windscreen wiper on a dry windshield as Ali, my son's girlfriend, Ali, I gave her a ride in the car, gave her a lift home earlier today as I was leaving London. And I was telling her that this car was made out of aluminium. And she was very excited by that because that's my nickname for her. She's called Ali, so I call her Aluminium. So I've dubbed this car Ali. Ali the Evora. 
an aluminium lightweight car. But yeah, that, that windscreen wiper was squeaking because it's now dry, it's stopped raining. There's been incredible rain today on Boxing Day. If you cast your mind back to Boxing Day, I don't know where you were on Boxing Day, but it was probably wet and horrible. And there was dreadful spray on the motorway. And that is the only downside of driving a true sports car in severe weather. You really are down amongst the spray. In an SUV, you're kind of above it. The spray doesn't rise up as high as the windscreen. Forgive me, I said windshield earlier on, didn't I? That's because that's what Ali described the windscreen as, the windshield, which is half Romanian, half Czech. So a lot of the English that she knows, I think, was learned from American television. So I think her dad says windshield rather than windscreen. And I transferred that across. Anyway... Yeah, when you're in a low car, you really are in the thick of the spray. I mean, it wasn't unpleasant, but it did temper my driving. You can't drive a sports car fast when you simply can't see where you're going. That's just not an option. But the single wiper that the Evora has does a great job of keeping the windscreen clean. And I like the idea that it's only got one wiper, one motor. Add lightness. Don't have two motors, it adds weight. Do you know, I think this might be the first car I have ever seen that has the fuel filler opener button on the driver's door on the right-hand side which is a bit of a wiring conundrum for the left-hand drive version of this car. You'd have to carry that button, that loom would have to double up so it's got the same on the left-hand side of the car. So if it's left-hand drive version, the driver can open, unless they put the switch elsewhere on the dash, which I doubt it. It's a little complex for them doing that, isn't it? You know, cars where you have a more or less symmetrical left and right dash reduce the cost of manufacture. If I remember the Igo, is it the Igo, the Toyota Igo, has a very symmetrical dash which reduces the cost of the manufacture of the car. And poor old Lotus, because they don't sell huge numbers of cars, struggle to reduce the cost of their cars. It's very important to reduce the cost for them, otherwise they have to charge a premium for what is a premium brand. I was talking about Lotus reliability earlier on. I'll come back to the premium thing in a moment. But Lotus reliability. You know, in the 70s when they had, well, Lotus engines, Ford engines, Renault engines, they weren't the most reliable cars in the world. But during the Romano Artioli period, they became a lot more reliable, didn't they? It started off with the Rover K series block, but when that wouldn't meet emission standards, they got in touch with Toyota. And that was a smart idea. They had what was essentially the engine from the MR2, I think that's right. I might be wrong, but a little lightweight 1.6 and later 1.8 litre four-cylinder engine, which Lotus supercharged in the supercharged version of the Elise and then later the Exige 
both of which I drove. Oh, the Exige tri-fuel I had, which had run on biofuel as well as pure petroleum. My gosh, that was incredible. And I like the sound that the supercharger made in this. This engine's got a supercharger. How about that, eh? A three and a half litre V6 with a supercharger. Something very 1930s about a supercharger. Zog and I are both big fans of the supercharger. Oh, hang on, the road just opened up. Listen to this. Uh, let's go down a couple of gears, shall we? That's more like it. I just blipped the throttle for you between the gear change, just so you can hear it. Right, I think that's fast enough for the motorway. Yeah, superchargers, they make a nice noise. Mid-engine car, engine behind you. That's a sporting sound, isn't it? Oh, how lovely. Yeah, supercharger on a V6. Who needs a V8, eh? This car will do 186 miles per hour, you know. I know there were versions of the Esprit which had a V8 engine in it, which Lotus developed themselves. Not the most reliable engine in Lotus's history. But this V6 of the supercharger does everything that car does in terms of performance. In fact, an awful lot more than that car does. And I bet it's lighter. So Colin Chapman would approve. Now, I wanted to talk about the Esprit as well, because when was Roger Moore, James Bond? When was the spy who loved me? Late 70s, 77 maybe? I'm not certain. But of course, the most famous Lotus for most people is the Esprit Submarine. And the story of how that car became James Bond's car usurped Aston Martin from that position is a famous one. I think someone from Lotus's PR department parked an Esprit right outside the production office for James Bond or something. So they saw it every day and it sort of subliminally went in as a good idea for James Bond and it worked, didn't it? And I do hope that Lotus make a lot of their James Bond connection because Aston Martin absolutely I know they're still involved but Aston Martin absolutely ring every single bit of marketing they can out of that car and I think Lotus should do that as well and I wish Lotus well for the future I think it's a very exciting future for them no spoilers but got something very special coming to on speed very soon regarding that bear with me but I really do wish Lotus well because back to the point I was making at the very start of this section I have an emotional connection to Lotus as you know I have an emotional connection with only four I think car companies they feel like family Ford of course because my dad always had Fords and so did my mum I grew up with Ford Lancia because one of the most exciting cars I ever owned was my Lancia HPE. It was a shooting brake, which I love. Lotus, because my first love in Formula One, although it was Jackie Stewart where I discovered Formula One, it was Lotus and the John Player Special was my first 
superstar F1 car. Always wanted a Europa. Used to ride, as you know, in a Elan Plus 2. Couldn't believe how excited I was to drive an Elise. I had a day at Hethel way back in the 90s where I was taken around the Hethel test track by a chap called Alistair. I can't remember his last name, but he was Lotus's test driver for many years, developed all their cars. And he took me, you've heard me tell this story, I'm sure. He took me at 100 miles per hour in an Esprit GT4 through a chicane. He said, right, Gareth, don't touch the brakes, don't decelerate, simply jink left and right. And I went through this chicane, jinked left and right, and in that moment, I realised that this car I was driving at the time, the Esprit, was designed to do that. Not to carry four or five people in soft comfort, but to change direction quickly and urgently without drama. The body didn't wobble on the chassis. It didn't swing and bounce back and then settle down. It just went ding ding and that was it. Its body control was amazing. The compliance of the suspension was astonishing. Its ability to do incredible things was down to that simple law of physics. Keep it light and it will go right. So have I mentioned all the brands I have an emotional link to? Ford, Lotus, I mean the two are kind of inseparable aren't they? Lotus and Ford, or certainly were for many many years, the Lotus Cortina, Fords and Lotus Formula One cars all had Ford engines, Lancia who mean a great deal to me, Gilburn as the only true Welsh car manufacturer meant a great deal to me and if there was a Gilburn a new Gilbert that you could buy today, I may well buy one, seriously, especially if it was a shooting brake. And then you could also include a couple of other brands on the periphery that I'm genuinely fond of. Toyota Lexus, you know, I've put my money into that company for many years because I admire what they do. And Hyundai, because they're upstarts, they're taking on the biggest car company in the world, Toyota. And matching them so there you go my top four as you know ford lotus lancia gilburn and then honorable mentions to toyota lexus and hyundai amazing but right there lotus it has an emotional resonance for me and clearly for other people as well uh, Tycho, my oldest son some of his mates have turned up at the door recently and I hear them talking to Tycho and they say, Oh, Tycho, have you seen the car outside? It's a Lotus. That's well wicked, isn't it? Yeah. Emotional. It has an emotional design. Look at it. It's all curves and it's low. It's dramatic. Designed to create an emotional response, as they say in Blade Runner, and gets one. And I'm noticing as I'm driving at a reasonable speed on the motorway here as people drive past. Everybody waves and smiles. People like this car. I don't think people feel threatened by it. Occasionally people are threatened by plush Bentleys or Aston Martins. 
certainly Ferraris. There's always a tinge of resentment, isn't there, when you see a Ferrari? But a red and black Lotus, perhaps because it's little, is unthreatening and allows you to smile at it without being envious of it. I think you think, oh, I wish I was in it, rather than, I wish that guy wasn't in it. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference between envy and jealousy, isn't there? Uh, I forget which is which. One is, I wish I was doing that. And the other is, I wish that person wasn't doing that. Anyway, I'm getting a bit philosophical now. And the traffic for Boxing Day isn't too bad. I know I'm on the motorway, but we're doing a good motorway speed at the moment. That works for me. And I'm very much looking forward to getting to the A road to North Wales. Um, I might even come back from North Wales through Wales take the very long way round <laughs> why not you're in a flipping car with 300 brake horsepower per ton <laughs> yeah so like Dr Manhattan I'm existing in the 70s on Boxing Day in the future and so are you right now I love science, even science fiction. And the laws of physics which say that you make it light, it goes quick. <laughs> I am really enjoying driving this car. I really am. I really am. But that's exactly what a Lotus is designed for, isn't it? Job done. motorway that connects South Wales and the West Country to London and I'm in the Avora having spent 24 hours in Gloucestershire in a remarkably pretty little place called Nailsworth. Now I drove down from North Wales to Nailsworth to hang out with my good friend Damien Sung. You may remember Damien came to Le Mans with us a few years ago and made a tremendous little film about Le Mans, which you can see as a Gareth Jones on Speed video podcast if you look back through the archive. But I thought I'd go and visit Damien. Two reasons. I like seeing him and it would be a great thing to drive from North Wales down to Gloucestershire which would involve some motorway from North Wales to the M6 but then when you get to Birmingham on the M6 you get on the M5 which is often very empty and then there's lots of lovely A roads that get you to Nailsworth in Gloucestershire so it would be another excuse to drive this tremendous car it's a GT it's billed as an Evora GT 410 Sport and a GT suggests a Grand Tourer, a car designed for long, quick journeys, perhaps on motorways and interstates. And yeah, 
I would argue very strongly that this car is a GT in the way that the Elise or the Exige never were and in a way that the Esprit always wanted to be. The Evora's been around for nigh on 10 years now and it was sold as a sort of a grown-up GT, softer, easier to use Lotus than the hardcore Exige and the fun but slightly compromised you might say Elise and I think they absolutely achieved that but Lotus being Lotus of course can't leave their cars alone and they fiddle with them don't they they improve them they make them quicker and tauter and lighter and more wonderful than they were in the first place and this Evora is a far greater car than the car I first got to know when it first came out. I can't remember if I finished the thought. It was a few days ago now when I was talking about this car. I was talking about how when it first came out I thought it was a bit pudgy, a bit fat looking. I think that was only because I was used to seeing the Elise. And this is a bigger car so it's going to look a bit more hefty, even if it really isn't. I think Lotus's designer, Russell Carr, did a great job of making this car look strong. I thought it was pudgy, but now, with the carbon fibre roof and the carbon fibre boot and engine cover at the rear, which is black of course, it hides, I mean it actually reduces some of the upper bulk, but also hides some of the upper bulk of the car that makes it look a lot more sharp a lot more arrowhead and i don't think this car looks pudgy at all anymore in fact i think it looks like a lancia stratos it really does perhaps of all the cars on sale at the moment this car evokes the stratos with its v6 and fat back end and desire to go really does. No wonder I like it. You know I love Lancers. I told you I have an emotional connection. And maybe this car seals both of those needs for me. Something else I do love about this car, when you look in the wing mirrors, you can see the back of the car. You can see those air vents, those cooling vents. That reminds me of the Calibra. Did you ever drive a Vauxhall Calibra? I had one way back in the 90s and when you looked in the mirror you could see the sculpting of the rear of the car in the wing mirrors i rather liked that it allowed you to enjoy the rear of the car from the inside that's kind of nice isn't it if i had a criticism of this car and i have two so it's not if i have a criticism i have two criticisms of this car they're both really minor. The first one is that the cruise control buttons on the steering wheel, which, forgive me for admitting I use, because it's a GT car, you know, it's a driver's guy, you shouldn't really be using cruise control, but when you're on the motorway, and there are lots of speed restrictions for lots of reasons, it's a smart idea to use the cruise control. But the cruise control buttons are not illuminated on the steering wheel 
So to engage them, you have to sort of fumble around a little bit. They are really nice because there's only four buttons. There are two buttons on the left hand stalk of the steering wheel and two on the right hand side for fast and slow. In fact, here we go, I've got to engage now. There's a turn it on button, which is bottom left, I'm trying to find it, found it. Then there's the engage button above it. I'll let the speed roll down to 50 because this is an average mile per hour speed restriction. Oh God, slow down. Give me 50. And then you press the engage button, which is above it on the upper half of the left hand steering wheel arm. And then you trim it with the up and down buttons on the right hand side, which is absolutely the right place if you're right handed like I am. There we go, I can set it for 52. I think we can probably get away with that. This car, it's a missile. Do you remember how I enjoyed driving the Alpine, how supple and communicative that was? But it didn't have anything like the ultimate power of this Evora with its 410 brake horsepower. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? And the way that that power is delivered with the supercharger, and I can't remember if I explained this previously when I was talking about the car. You know, if you've got a mid-engine car, you don't want a turbocharger on board. You don't want a lumpy surge of power that can suddenly unsettle a car and perhaps cause it to swap ends because it's mid-engined. No, that would be dangerous. You want a car that has an even delivery of power and a supercharger does that. It's not as efficient as using a turbo. A turbo uses energy that would otherwise be thrown away in the exhaust gases so it gives you a more efficient engine a bit more economical but a supercharger just gives you that amazing even linear keep on accelerating keep on accelerating keep on accelerating delivery of power in fact something i've learned with the evora is you have to stop accelerating you do otherwise it would just continue all the way to its incredible 186 mile per hour top speed, I think. It will, of course, just keep going. So you get onto a motorway and you've got an open bit of road and you put your foot down to pop past some traffic to find a bit of open road and immediately you overtake it and you have to remember to chill a little bit, come back off the throttle, otherwise you'll be reaching warp speed. It does rather collapse space a little bit you know I drove from North Wales to Gloucestershire in less than three hours admittedly the motorways were nice and empty it was two days before New Year and I was amazed it was a Sunday to find so little traffic and thrilled to find so little traffic around it allowed me to really use this car as a GT but today, I spent a large part of the day doing something that Damien and I never planned to do, but suddenly decided to do. We thought we'd make a little film for Gareth Jones on Speed, a little on-speed video episode about the Evora, because Damien was excited about the car. So, no, no, we've got to go and make it. It's a beautiful day, and it was 
a truly beautiful day. Sunshine. So we drove up onto the moors and did lots of shots. So you will see the results of that filming very soon on Gareth Jones on speed. And what you learn from that, I think, is not what I think about the car, but what I feel about this car, which is a very different thing. I hope you enjoy that when it's out. I was talking about the things about this car that I think could be improved. Not very much. The two things were to do with lights for the cruise control, but ultimately it's not the end of the world because I've learned where they are and my muscle memory, even after a few days borrowing this car, has allowed me to become familiar with that, so it's not the end of the world. Uh, the other thing is the buttons for the fine Alpine in-car entertainment unit are just a little bit small, especially on a car that, although it's compliant, you know, if you're on bumpy road, this car will bop around a little bit. It's very hard to hit those buttons. So, Lotus, if you can find an Alpine head with larger buttons or even a knurled knob, a bit more positive, that would be good. And the other thing I would perhaps change in the Evora are the doors. Nothing wrong with these fab doors getting in and out of the car. It's not difficult. It's not easy. It's a low car, you have to slot yourself in behind the wheel. And I think an easier way of being able to achieve that would be if this car had scissor doors. Now I don't know if scissor doors make much difference to the weight of a car, but a door that would hinge forward like the River Simple Rasa or the McLaren series of cars would make ingress and egress, getting in and out of this car, a lot easier. I don't find it difficult, but it would be nice to be able to pop in and out with grace and no effort whatsoever. And here's the thing about that. If Lotus did start doing the sort of things that McLaren do, put those scissors doors in, it would make this car even more exclusive than it is. And that, I believe is the way forward for Lotus. It's a tremendous brand, fantastic heritage, unbelievable skill set. Formula One champions many times over, seven in the case of Lotus. What I've just said about Lotus, you can say exactly the same for McLaren. The only difference is McLaren are still in Formula One. Lotus are no longer there. And is it only my generation, people in our late 50s, early 60s now, who really value and see and cherish and make something of that connection between Lotus and Formula One? Does it mean nothing to younger car buyers? And I would imagine people who buy Lotuses are quite young. I don't think someone in their 60s would go out and buy a Lotus, would they? It's a super sports car, it really is. And I, mean, I don't mean, oh gosh, it's a super sports car. No, it's a super sports car, is what I'm trying to say. It is the most willing car I have ever driven. There is nothing that I have asked this car to do that it hasn't been able to do. When I left 
Damien's house in Dalesworth earlier on as I drove to Sire and Chester I drove through fog banks incredible fog banks as I went up over the hills and it was clear and then suddenly very very foggy which meant that you suddenly had to slow down and you were suddenly presented with very low visibility and this car would take me around corners that I had no idea how severe they were I came upon them really quickly and oh my heavens it's a you know it's a hairpin turn no problem for the car it was utterly undramatic it could do almost anything and also I felt it was an incredibly safe car to drive in those sorts of circumstances because visibility was so poor if I'd come across something in the middle of the road someone who'd broken down or just stopped in the middle of the road for fear of not being able to progress because of the poor visibility then I would have been able to stop quickly not just because of the prodigious grip of these massive tyres on this car but because of the sheer lightness of the car I've said it before, it can change the laws of physics that Alfa Romeo Stelvio did what it could do despite the laws of physics this car does what it can do because of the law of physics keep it light and it will change direction like a ballerina keep it light and it will accelerate like a rocket ship keep it light and it will stop like the roadrunner amazing so Lotus's future what is it going to be I know that there are three fascinating cars in development and you know what that's going to be the subject of the next episode of Gareth Jones on Speed I'm off to Heffel to find out about Lotus's future and you'll get to hear all about it on Gareth Jones on Speed I'm Gareth I've loved driving this car I've got it for another uh, ooh, eight days um, at the end of it all I'm going to have to drive it back to Heffel which is something I will do with great regret I'm very pleased that I should be going there to find out about the future of a car company who are not only amazingly well skilled but now well financed and I hope have a great future in front of them if their heritage is any indicator of what they can do in the future there are some amazing lotuses to come I'm Gareth, thanks for listening see you for the next one to send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang.